Welcome to the Woman to Woman podcast hosted on Radio 731. Hello, it's Heather Witherspoon and I'm super excited today that we have this young lady on with us. She absolutely is precious. Um, And when I heard her story a few weeks ago, not only did I run over to her as soon as the story was finished and we were able to have, you know, a few minutes to talk, um, but I immediately asked her to come on to the Woman to Woman podcast because I feel like her story could be any woman's story um and i i erica i am just honored and blessed and so grateful that you decided to come on with us today yes and i'm so honored to be here and i'm honored that you asked me well erica so i and i want to Lori smith she's from brownsville like she grew up in brownsville and stuff and she when we started talking about this leadership university session that you came and spoke at um, she had said, I want you to listen to this girl's um, story. And she sent me the link, sister. I mean, bawling. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and I say that because there's so many things. But then through it, I just kept, and I'll say when I when I heard your story the other day at Leadership University, I just was thinking, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace, girl. So I'm, I want you to tell us a little bit of uh, something funny about you, Erica, and um, just tell us about who you are, maybe where you're from, and then we'll just dive into it just here shortly. Okay, yeah. Um, well, my name's Erica Austin. I am 32 years old, and I grew up and was born and raised in Brownsville, Tennessee. I graduated high school in Haywood County. I have a nine-year-old daughter named Elena, um, and I am a member of Love and Truth Church. I serve in Love and Truth Ministries in Jackson. I uh, am also a leader in their Celebrate Recovery program. I highly encourage that program. And I don't know, something funny about me. I love to exercise, and I eat the exact same breakfast and lunch every day of the week. Other than the weekends, I mix it up. But people are like, oh, my gosh, that's so boring. And I'm just like, i got to have consistency. <laughs> like It's my personality. I just have to stay the same. I can't switch it up. So... I love People it. laugh at that when I tell you. No, I love that. So what do you eat every morning for breakfast? Every morning I have a protein shake that has protein, blueberries, and oatmeal and spinach in it. Okay. And every day for lunch I have chicken and rice and vegetables. Girl, listen, the, the meal prep is easy, right? Yeah, the meal prep is simple. Like, it's, I don't want to say it's easy. It's simple. It's not necessarily easy. It's annoying, but <laughs> it works for me. So. <laughs> well, you were in great shape, though. So, so, I mean, that's awesome, though. So, you, how much do you work out? I work out five days a week, sometimes six. Um, I teach a class on Saturday mornings. So, if I stay consistent with my work, workouts for the five days, then I'll work out six. But sometimes I miss a day, depending on how late I get home or something. So. Girl, now that's awesome. Now, where do these people come? Where can somebody come and take one of your classes? Yeah, um, Flex Fitness in Brownsville, 8 a.m. every Saturday morning. You do not have to be a member. First two classes are free, 10 bucks after that. And I do a resistance training class. Resistance training is what some people refer to as the toning, um, but we just incorporate weights. And resistance is just where your muscles are pushing against a weight. So that's, that's awesome. Why it's 
That that that's amazing because I just watched a video last night about resistance um, band training, you know, and I mean I think that's huge. Um, I will tell you that I started working out again today, and I'm so grateful. But gosh, the next month I'm gonna be so sore, like I'm not gonna be able to walk. But I'm like, uh, my mental, yeah. you know, my mental toughness is um, I, it's down the tubes. <laughs> I know I can, girl. I just, I told one of my girlfriends, I said, look, I'm one step closer, right? So the first step is to go to the gym, right? You know? And then I'm like, oh, can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. Yes, I can do this. I can do anything for 30 minutes. Yes, 30 minutes. That's what I was going to say. Start out 30 minutes. Your body will adjust. That's right, girl. That's exactly right. I'm telling you, I love it. So you work out every day. So let's um, let's talk about, so you, now what do you do currently in your, in your career? I am a legal secretary. I work for an attorney in Brownsville. I love it. I love it. So sister, getting to where you are, where you once were because you're so still I, I call you you're still a baby you're so young <laughs> if I had introduced myself to somebody I'd be like hey this is Heather Witherspoon from the woman to woman podcast that's about it I'm not even giving you my age but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> but you're such a baby but oh my goodness what a story that you have what a story of grace of um love um it, it, uh, disappointments hurts losses i mean let's just be realistic we live in a very tough world right yes you know so uh, and I, as i told you earlier um i feel like that i you know i'm a single mom i am one tragedy away from being at rifa every day and i and i love rifa please know that because i i got to serve with that community for over a year i loved it it was it was fantastic but we are all i as i've gotten older there's no there's no way anybody should ever judge because we all have our battles we all are going through our valleys we're all coming out of a valley of some sort our battles just might look different than other people's battles absolutely you know so erica i want to hear your story if you don't mind just letting the podcast land that's listening listen to your story because i think that it's one that parents need to listen to i think that um adults need to listen to it i feel like that younger kids need to listen to it there's so many people that can listen to your story and and not get something when they walk away okay absolutely um I'll just start at the beginning, if that's okay. Yeah. Well, let me start by saying this. I have, I will have, God willing, six years sober this coming May. Yeah. Completely drug and alcohol, substance free. <laughs> and yes, like you said, it's definitely by God's grace and his mercy and his love. Um, he literally reached down and used a human vessel to pull me out of a pit. And so... Just to start, like, from the very beginning, you know, growing up, I was loved. I had a good family. Um, we weren't rich by any means, but my parents were together. Um, she worked every day. My father worked every day. I had an older sister living in the home and then an older sister that didn't live in the home with us. But um, growing up, if you would look back onto my childhood, you would think, like, she had no reason to, you know, go down the path she went down. Like you would, you would look at that and just be like, wow, where, what happened? Where'd she veer off? You know, because there wasn't like, 
major trauma or 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 a divorced home or, or separated home that's why it's so important like it can happen to anyone anyone right. from any from the garbage man to the ceo and um but looking back now some something that i like to share that i could not see at the time was growing up we know that the enemy our adversary will come in at any vulnerability especially at a young age when our brains aren't even fully developed so just even within the past uh, couple years like more has been revealed to me as to where it started and why it started and really get into the root of the issue and so like growing up I um always saw my sister who was she was skinnier than I was always she was more athletic than I was she made better grades than I did so at a very young age I saw what I what I viewed at the time as something I couldn't ever measure up to because I, like I tried right um I wanted to be on the all-star team. I wanted to make first honor roll like she did. I can literally remember way, like a scene from my childhood where I was sitting in the floor and I, I saw my stomach fell over my pants and hers didn't back then, right? So from a very young age, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel smart enough. I didn't feel skinny enough. I felt all of that. I just never felt good enough. I just felt inadequate from a very young age. And I think now looking back, like I didn't necessarily go into like this depression, but, but my way of dealing with that was rebelling. And so I wanted to do but I knew I wasn't supposed to. I wanted to do what my parents told me not to do. Uh, that's the way I dealt with my inadequacies was rebelling and seeking that attention elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, so Recording I can progress. Sorry, sissy. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I can remember... Um, you know, going over a friend's house when I was 13 and being introduced to weed for the first time and I smoked it and it made me feel cool and it made me feel different. And I got to come out of that skin that I was in that I absolutely didn't like. I didn't like who I was. Right. And so the drugs and alcohol from a very young age helped me to what I thought was be me. Like these walls of anxiety would fall when I used and drank and I could be funny and I could be cool and I could not care about my grades anymore, right? Right. Um, so it was a very unhealthy relationship from a very young age that spiraled out of control very quickly. You know, and, um, I, I'm, I'm going to say this. So, I There's so many times and so many, and I say this, I have a son that's 14, right? And he's always been bigger. And it's always, I, I don't think that this is just really um, 
a, a gender situation. I think it's both for both genders, you know, because you think about when we grew up and what like middle school and like you, what you're talking about, the comparison and stuff. It's so much worse now because they got social media. It, there's no, I mean, they cannot get away from bullying, right? And it, like you're like you you say i mean i i just want to look at you and say you are worthy you are good enough you are you are wonderfully and beautifully made right but when yes. you're sitting in that moment you do not feel like that when someone's speaking truth to you absolutely you're absolutely in agreement with the lies coming from the enemy absolutely and i always say like thank god there was no snapchat Facebook back then because had someone taken pictures or videos of me when I was in my drunken stupor or when I was high, like I, it could have been so much worse. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think media is, it can be used for a really good purpose. Like what we're doing now, it's amazing. Right. But right. I mean, it always, you know, the enemy comes in and just taints everything. So that's right. So yes, it can be so awful. I'm telling you, uh, you're right. So I am very grateful that social media was not around. So 13 years old, you went to a friend's house. I mean, because I do not want parents or people to be oblivious about this. It happened at such a young age. So when you, um, so 13, so it, it made you feel completely different, right? So did you start doing that every day? So what did your, what did, what does this look like? This course that you're on right now or that you were on at this time period? Yeah. So of course at 13, at that time, I couldn't get it every Every day, so I couldn't do it every day, but I just remember I was on the weekends so that I could get out of my home and just get, you know, hopefully in, in a vicinity that where I could drink, where I could use, and I would go to any length, even then, and I, be, I began lying to my parents, manipulating them, and I, at the, I feel bad about it now, but at the time, I didn't at all, and um, I think my consciousness was kind of seared, but so, yeah, I'd go to any lengths to get wherever I needed to on the weekends, whether I had to lie or do whatever to go spend the night at friends' house, to go um, just to get out of my house, to try to get somewhere where we could have fun and party. So, so at 13, you're doing everything that you can to escape reality, right? So it, it it starts with with weed and then and drinking and then you start start talking about what life looks like after that. Yeah, so when I turned sixteen I got a car and I got a job and that's really when uh I the availability of the drugs and alcohol was so much more and also i had a very close family member back then that was prescribed prescription adderall and this was before the adderall craze had even come in adderall is just a medicine they give for adhd but it's a stimulant it's it's an amphetamine very similar to methamphetamine but when you take it um like I said, it's a stimulant and gives you energy, this euphoria. So by 16, I was introduced to my close family members, Adderall. I had my own money now because I was working. So I could 
get someone to buy me alcohol. I could get people to buy me cigarettes. I could um, go buy weed myself by this point. Um, I had been introduced to pain pills by this point. And this is when my grades in my life really started reflecting my drug use. And by 17, I was arrested for the first time being caught at a hotel party. And I got my first, um, I did my first stint on probation. You got my first charge for underage consumption. So I was definitely out of control by this point. Mm. So now what did your parents do when they had to come get you out of jail? Um, well, I didn't go to jail because I was 17. But oh, okay. Yeah, from okay. The police, from the police. So, yeah. Um, my dad was uh, absolutely disappointed. My dad was actually the one who uh, called the police on me. And, I mean, as he should have, like, right? Like, looking back now, like, yeah, he should have absolutely been. I was supposed to be at work that morning. He rode by, saw that I wasn't. So, of course, as any good dad would, he went on the look for me he started looking for me and he found me and it was a hotel party and um called the police and at this point you know that fueled my rebellion even more mm-hmm. that made me even more mad at my parents and want nothing to do with them but I mean, he was doing the right thing but he picked me up I mean he was absolutely just disappointed in me um and I mean they were very strict for a bit, you know, after that. They watched me a little closer. They still let me go to work. They helped me get um, the SR-22 insurance so that I could still drive to school and stuff. And it was a restricted license. And um, I wish I could tell you that that helped me straighten up. Um, I can't tell you that because I remember specifically going in for a drug test for my juvenile probation officer. And, you know, Adderall, like I said, was new at this point to me anyway. And I had no idea that Adderall would make me fill a drug test for amphetamines. And I don't think back then that um, juvenile probation officers and, you know, the people in the justice system realized people my age were doing harder drugs like that. Because I remember my probation officer waiting for me because I had to quit smoking weed because I knew that that'd be on there, right? Right. And I wanted to get off probation. But I remember the lines on the drug test for the amphetamines weren't showing up. I was failing it for amphetamines. My probation officer <laughs> threw it in the garbage and said, I don't think you're doing hard drugs. And like, I remember thinking, but she really was oblivious. But she, she was oblivious. She just totally just thought, like, there's no way she's doing that. I'm just going to disregard this drug test you passed. Wow. Okay. And life goes on, and I get off probation, and not much changes. I'm making um, just – I'm doing just enough to get by in school, um, making DCs, you know, Bs in the easy classes – skipping school and um i managed to graduate though i did manage to graduate high school 
That that's awesome. I mean, considering, please don't take that that I'm discounting anything. But you know, sometimes when you get into a mindset, um, you know, and, and and you don't realize how bad something is until it consumes all of you, and obviously, it does not give you the best outcome. And and I say that because there have been people I, that I've I've struggled with food my life because I'm an emotional eater, right? I mean, you know, it, it could be food, it could be pornography, it could be drugs, it could be drinking, it could be anything. Right? So yeah. um that's amazing that, that 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 correctional officer or your you know your parole officer was like, oh no, we know you're not doing it, and just threw it away and said she's okay. I mean, just because, and this is not long ago. I mean, yes. really, you know, this is not very long ago, but for them to know, you don't know until you know, like what kind of drugs and like fentanyl and all these other things that are out there that are, that are killing people. Right. But unless mm-hmm. you're in that world, you don't understand what that looks like. Right. You know, so you graduate. So what happens now? So you're like, okay, I graduated. Life is good. What's my next plan? Yeah, so I managed to graduate high school, and then um, I remember me and friends, we, we got a place. I say we got a place. My uh, One of my friend's uh, aunts put us in a house in Stanton so that we'd be closer to Memphis because we were going to go to Memphis to right. school, right, to college. So I do a semester at uh Southwest. I say I do a semester. I didn't complete it. I may. I, I flunked two. Cl- I took four classes, flunked two, and made C's in the other two. Um, and that was the end of my college career. Like I tried. Like it was a good thought, right? Like I thought I was gonna go to school and and and, and try to do something, but but I just I just couldn't. Right. I just was. I mean, I was partying. I did work. Okay. At this point, I was, I was employable, and I was a hard worker. I, and looking back, I look at myself as a hard worker. My mind then was like, I'm a hustler. Like, I'm going to work, and I'm going to party, and I can sell these pills on the side, and I can sell a little bit of drugs on the side. And at this point in my life, I remember like, but I'm not going to do the hard stuff. Like, right. Um, do meth. I'm not going to do heroin. I'll, I'll, you know, take my little bit of Adderall. By this point, I was taking uh, pain pills, but I'm not going to do the hard stuff. And I'm going to sell some and make this money on the side. And at one point, I remember I was working three jobs just because I had this mentality of like being this hustler and making this money and I'm not going to go to school. So I better, you know, get it in right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, and, and I did that for for a few years and uh, just was a functioning addict couldn't have told me then I was an addict but I did have to um, have something every day whether that was Adderall or whether that was hydrocodone or and I smoked weed every day and we drank every day and I can remember at, at some point I was probably 20 ish by this point becoming concerned about my drinking because in the mornings I would be shaky when I would try to go to work because I didn't drink before work. And I can remember like thinking that I was tough enough and I could control it. So I was like, I'm going to slow down on my drinking throughout the week. And I'm just going to only drink hard on the weekends because it's affecting my job and my making the money. Right. And so I think I calmed down on drinking as heavy. Um, 
other than on the weekends. <clears throat> so at this point, I'm trying to control it. So how did so it's how did that get? Real. Yeah, I mean, like Ria, how far did that go? How long did that last? Um, you know, it didn't, and so by the time I am, we're living in that house in Stanton, and. Um, we're drinking and doing all that on the weekend and I'm trying to work and um, I can remember there was uh, one of our friends dads would come out there and he would cook meth and by this point I was strong enough I'm not going to do it but uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll sell it or whatever and um you know, at this point, we were buying Sudafed and making money off of that. And it was great money coming in. And I was just like, man, I'm just making great money. I'm never going to do it, <laughs> you know, but I'm still doing the Adderall and the pain pills and trying to work. And long story short, living out there and doing all that craziness, we end up um, not getting along. I end up moving out. I end up... Um, moving on with life, I guess, a little bit, still using, still drinking, and smoking weed every day, and trying to hustle, (laughs) and, um, but I had, I remember I had gone through a breakup, and when I had went through that breakup, I um, immediately started hanging out with some other people, and they were doing harder drugs, and so I eventually... I guess my emotional state was not good at the time. I, I let those walls down and I tried it. And I try, I remember trying meth for the first time and absolutely loving it. And um, by this point, Brownsville had been introduced to, I say introduced, it felt like it was for the first time, Roxycodone, which is just a stronger oxycodone that can be... Um, snorted shot smoked all that so that come into brownsville and so we were introduced to this stronger opiate okay and of course eventually that didn't work anymore and heroin made its way to brownsville and so i'm um fully addicted to meth fully addicted to heroin and i end up in a relationship with the drug dealer and uh, because by this point I was unemployable and by this point you could look at me and you could tell that um, I had spiraled out of control I couldn't work I just remember being underweight and uh, that all the things I said I'd never do I did and uh, that was one of the darkest times in my life tell you about King Jewelers. You know Grover King has been in business for more than 25 years. That is crazy. But he's been a in-house jeweler for more than 35 years. That's a long time to be working on his craft. And he really is a craftsman with all the things that he does. They have bridal engagements. If you're looking for fine jewelry, they do and, and, and provide for everybody on every budget, right? So services that they do is gold, 
gold and platinum, maybe some silver jewelry repairs, ring size and chain repair. We know that Lucas has broken three chains and he's had to repair it every time Grover that is. Insurance appraisals, watch repairs. And then what you can do is while you wait, you can get your watch battery changed and then your jewelry cleaned, which I think is fantastic. But Grover King and his staff do a phenomenal job and they will take care of you. So go by and see Grover King and his his team of ladies at 16 Conrad Drive. That's 16 Conrad Drive. So it is springtime, ladies. Living is a team sport and having the right people who understand your health and wellness around you is the key to life. Knowing that you can count on a team of professionals when it comes to your health is priceless. Start with the Women's Clinic. The Women's Clinic puts women's health first. See the difference at the Women's Clinic, offering highly professional caring relationships, a suite of wellness programs. All you have to do is call them today for your appointment, 422-4642. That's 422-4642. And we all need to take a team approach to wellness and prevention. Ladies, don't we all? We all need to. And with spring here, there's no more excuses. Call 422-4642. The Woman's Clinic, serving one woman at a time. Did you know being a parent is hard, but you know you'll do anything for your children. So after all the effort, how do you know that you're doing a good job? Well, I guess it is when you see them smile. I know it is. Well, guess what happened? Lucas went out of town for spring break. And you know what happens when he comes home and smiles? His bottom tooth is cracked. I'm telling you, he had some of the worst dental problems ever this kid chipped one of his tooth while he was at the beach i don't know how what i you know boys will be boys but you know who i called as soon as he, he got back into town to southern family dentistry dr nathan nash does a fantastic job i had a woman call me the other day to ask me about having a uh, does he see children yes he sees children and i promise you that he will take care of you call 345 45 that's 345 45 family dentistry i promise you dr nathan nash will take care of you and your family i i I can't imagine because you're relatively skinny i mean you're you're very skinny now but you're underweight you're on heroin you're on meth I, i just i can't imagine that um I don't know what heroin looks like. Meth, you know, when I first moved to Tennessee, I was introduced to it. I would drive through in Huntington. I was like, what is that horrible smell? Right? And I will never forget somebody saying, that's meth. And I'm like, what is meth? And they're like, the shake and bake stuff. And I was like, what? You know? And I mean, and you don't, you, unless you're living in that world or you're hanging around people, you don't know what stuff like that is, right? Right. You know, but then, but then you are, so at this, at this point in time, what are your parents thinking? Like, they know that you have got to be struggling with something. You know, if you're underweight, you don't have a job now, you know, or was it a tough look? I can't imagine as a parent, you know, because, and, and I say that, but you go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. So I was living at the dope house at this point, what was considered the meth house in, in Brownsville, um, and my dad, I mean, of course, like I wasn't answering their calls or anything. My dad would show up from time to time and he'd bang on the door and 
lovingly, you know, he wasn't right. coming trying to make me leave or anything, but he would come pick me up. He would come take me to eat. He'd take me to eat. And he would say, I just remember one time that stands out. He would, he said, you look so thin. Do I need to take you somewhere and get you into treatment? Wow. And at that point, no, daddy, I got this. I'm fine. It's not what you think. And my, I remember my aunt, she worked for the police department. She still does. She worked for the police department. Um, and uh, she, like, had this intervention. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. seen this show interview where they, like, get your, get yes. your and they, like, lop all this on you. So I can remember her. It was, we went to my grandma's or something for some reason, a family function or something. And I guess my aunt had told my mom everything like, this is how I know she's doing it. Look at her pupils. Look at her boniness. Look at her. Just, you know, I guess my mom probably was still in denial. She didn't realize how bad it was. She probably thought I just smoked a little weed and drank. But um, so they had like this intervention basically saying, because my aunt having worked at the police department, mm-hmm. like you are on this list, whatever it was at the police department you're one of the people they are watching like we know where your car is at times we know who you're hanging around just know like we know what you're doing and they're watching you and you couldn't tell me anything at this time and I'm like you don't know anything I'm not there you don't you're you couldn't tell me anything I was like whatever y'all are wrong you know and just incomplete but it didn't stop me it didn't stop me so my family yeah by this point they were very uh, concerned and I think you know as parents you probably don't want to believe everything you're hearing because that's your baby girl right Right. and um, so they they didn't they definitely didn't know the depths but they had an idea Mm. girl so your daddy is taking you to go eat and then you have this family intervention. So then what happens next? Like, and I want to say this, just like an intervention, unless that person is willing to come forward and confess and just say, hey, look at like where, because I will tell you, there's been a time in my life where I've been so broken. Prior to that, I was oblivious. I was in denial. Didn't want to address this situation, but I had to become and God and I knew God was going to get me several months before I knew it. Right, it was kind of crazy how it all worked out, but God got me, and then I was like, I've got to repent, you know, and then my journey began, right? So it wasn't with drugs, but it was others with something else. But I mean, so at this point in time, they're trying to do an intervention, and you're like, I'm not having this, this is not my problem, this is not me, right? Yes. Wow. So how much longer? So so then, what does life take? Where where does life take you after this intervention? Yeah, so, you know, I just, just thought I was smarter than they were, and I could, you know. So, after finding out about this lit, or whatever, my, that yeah. my name was, I was yeah. being watched, whatever. Uh, I was living in the dope house, and I was dating the dope dealer, who didn't live at the dope house. Like, that's confusing. Yeah. Right? But I started dating the drug dealer. He didn't live in this home. Um, but he was, he was frequently there selling drugs and stuff. Um, and so he moves me out of the dope house and we move into his, um, 
grandmother's house. And, um, I mean, at that point I had, uh, this is going to sound crazy, but the drug dealer I was dating realized how, um, much the opiates, the heroin, the oxys and all that were taking, um, control of me that he encouraged that I not take those, but I was still doing the meth. So for a little bit, I did get off of the pain pills, um, and anyway, so I'm living with him, fully dependent on him by this point, and trying to get jobs. You know, I said I was trying to. I think I just tried just enough, you right. know, but I never could hold a job down. Um, it was hard to even leave the house at this point for me, um, just from paranoia and from just what the meth had done to my mind like like I'd be up all night and then I'd sleep half the day and then it would be so hard to leave because I would be so paranoid and um but long story short I end up getting pregnant um and so tried you know in my mind I wanted to do right for the baby and I tried um for a while, even while pregnant, by this point, we had moved out of his grandmother's house and gotten a house in Jackson. And uh, even I remember I was about four months pregnant and I had gotten a job and I was back to waitressing for a little bit and really wanted to do right for the baby. But he was still selling drugs. And by this point, he was on probation. He had actually um, not been out of jail very long. And he stopped going to see his probation officer. So then he was on the run. Wow. And um, so here I am pregnant and we have to get out of our house because actually I had had the baby. Um, she was not very old at all when the police came to our house in Jackson looking for him. Oh, and wow. he wasn't there at the time, but um, that's when we had to get out of there because he went on the run. So I was on the run with him with a newborn baby. Um, but I, I do always like to mention this in, in my story because it's this, it's real. And this is, and I'm not proud of this, but I have to tell this as much as I wanted to be a good mama and I wanted to stop for the baby, uh, I couldn't. I was absolutely consumed by my addiction and I could not function without the drugs and alcohol and not alcohol by this point it was just the hard drugs um but and and when i tell you i wanted to stop so badly but i absolutely could not um i like to point out that addiction is stronger sometimes than a mother's love for her child and um I absolutely could not stop. But God had his hand on my woman, had his hand on her, and she came out absolutely perfect. And that is all God's grace. Amen, sister. So, Amen. Yes. Yes. Wow. So in a perfect world, you would have had this baby and things would have been perfect, right? Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that is not how the story goes. Right. So you have this beautiful baby. She's perfect. She's healthy. 
And then what happens? And then, so like I said, he uh, um, stops seeing his probation officer and he goes, he's on the run from the police and me and the baby are on the run with him. And when I say on the run, we're not literally like running, but we are place to place. Yeah. um, Nowhere consistently. um, Just, he's still selling drugs. So by this point he lost his job. He couldn't work anymore because they'd find him there. So he dove, he dove even harder into selling drugs and, uh, he was just selling the meth at first, but by this point, he had also started selling heroin. So that came back into my life while I have a newborn baby. Right. And um, so we're place to place, addicted to meth, addicted to heroin. He was also addicted to Xanax. Um, and she, he did, he did uh, celebrate her one year birthday. And, and um, Sorry, and he, uh, we had the birthday party here at my, my, but it was not long after that. She turned one in November, and by the following February, we he had been being watched by what we would find out to be ATF, and um, they were watching him and and uh, end up getting arrested on the interstate that February. And I get arrested, he gets arrested. Of course, he had um, warrants out on him. And I go to jail, he goes to jail. And that I didn't have any um, warrants out on me. I had, the last time I had been to jail was when I was 18. I done my first stint in jail for drinking and drugs. Did a weekend in jail and got out. So by this point, I'm 23. And... Um, yes, 23. And, uh, we get arrested on the interstate. He goes in, I go in, my daughter gets taken into custody. And actually like on the way, when they were taking us to jail, they put us in the back of the suburban, the police vehicle, and they let me hold her. They allowed me to hold her and they said, hold onto her tight because this is the last time you're going to get to see her for a while. (laughs) And, uh, I just lost it, but, um, yeah, luckily I I was blessed to have parents that could take her in and she didn't go into state custody and they drug tested us when we got to the station and interrogated us. And um, and we failed that drug test for everything. I failed it for everything except marijuana. And, um, I just remember my, my mom being there and she was totally blown away and she was like how could this happen because if we refused the drug test they would have automatically marked it as failing for everything but um she i just remember her taking my daughter and just looking at me like erica how could this happen and at that point um they of course questioned me and him separately and uh, i done a stint in jail and he went into jail and currently he is still in prison for that. Wow. And so I, um, done my stint and I, uh, had to go to long-term treatment after that. Wow. So how long were you in treatment for? I mean, cause this is a, this is a wide opening, wakening a moment for you, you know, like that aha moment. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you would think, you know, uh, it was absolutely tragic at the time, but you couldn't convince me it was as bad as it was then looking back, it's awful. <clears throat> but then I thought that cause I had stayed out of trouble since I was 18 and managed to fly under the radar. I should get a slap on the wrist and that I should do like a 30 day treatment you know I should I really thought that I should get a slap on the wrist so a little bit and uh, I um, had to do six months of long term treatment and my parents had to um, take my daughter in during that time and raise her Mm -hmm. for me Right, but that's probably the best thing possible at that moment, right? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. So it, it it's it's by God's grace you got great parents, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. because um, that, that like you had said earlier in the podcast, this could be a situation where um, it's much worse than it really was, and and, and you you know what I'm saying because it, she could have gone into the state and what I I was a um, I was a. Uh, an orphan of the state of Alabama for a little while. So I understand. I mean, I was too young to understand mm-hmm. at the moment. But when you get into the system, it's hard to come out of the system, right? So um, you're in treatment for six months, right? So this this should mean that things are going to get better. And life is on its, on its way up, right? Right, right. Yeah. So I always like to share this part of my story, too. So when I did finally bond out of jail, luckily... <laughs> I say luckily, my income tax had hit and I had worked a little bit. Um, and while I was in jail, my income tax come, so I was bonded out. And um, I was out for a week. Like I had a date that I had to go into treatment and I would be out for a week. And I, I always have to share this because that week you would think in a perfect world, a mother would absolutely just eat up her baby, like spend all the time she could with her baby with, and and make that time count. But <laughs> when I got out of jail, I just remember the anxiety just being out right. uh, in the world. And at this point, I'm sober. Or, or I'm not using. My mind is still messed up. But, and that... That week, instead of spending time with her, I sold everything that I had of value, and I chased drugs and uh, even took a little into treatment with me. And so I remember the night before going to treatment, I stayed up all night on meth, and um, I had gotten some heroin while I was out and um, took some to treatment with me. And instead of spending time with my daughter, but when I got into treatment, that's when it was, and, and I start learning about recovery and what an addict is and what an alcoholic really is and uh, what having a sponsor does. And I'll start hearing about these steps of recovery and how you get sober and how you have to surrender to God and let God be in control. And uh, it had never occurred to me that I couldn't be in control. Never had occurred to me. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> when they said that you're in control of nothing and God's in control of everything. If you would just surrender to God, 
he will help you. And I just remember sitting in that meeting just like, what? Are you, I mean, is that simple? Like, and I just remember feeling this weight lifting off of me right then and like thinking like, wow, I really am a drug addict and I'm really not in control of anything. Yet, I had been through all that looking outside looking in of course you were a drug addict right of course like you're not in control and your life spiraling out of control but i really thought i was so deceived i really thought that i had it in control and that i wasn't one of those real addicts and i just at that moment it was like boom you're not in control you're an addict let god have and i just this weight come off of me right then in treatment and I had a new outlook on life. And uh, I really pressed into the program and I completed it and I got out and I stayed. So I didn't have custody of my daughter back yet. And, but I managed to go to meetings and do all the things that I was supposed to do, right? And get a job and gonna try to be better and try to be a mama. And uh, I remember. I did well for a while and I had to take hair follicle tests for my attorney in, in the process of trying to get custody of her back. And I had uh, taken what I thought was the last hair follicle test for court. And I'm like, we're aware it's a shoe in now, right? Um, I'm on the way to thinking, getting everything I wanted back or everything I lost back. And um, I remember having to go to the dentist and um, because I had really not taken care of myself. So I had to go to the dentist. I was working. I had a little money and I could, I needed to get a tooth pulled and I did. And they prescribed me hydrocodone and I had a sponsor at the time, like I was supposed to. And um, I called her and I, at this point, I think I was maybe six, seven months sober or something like that. And, uh, I called her and I was like, look, they're prescribing me these pain pills. And I just remember, and she meant absolutely no harm. She was only telling me what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says. And it does not tell us we cannot take medicine, but that as addicts and alcoholics, we know when we're taking it to get high. Right. But at that point in my life, that I justified it. I justified it and I took the hydrocodone <laughs> within one week I was back to using meth and Suboxone I, was, I found Suboxone at this point Suboxone is a drug they give people to keep them off of heroin but within one week I remember um, taking the hydros finding Suboxone finding meth and nodding off on my way to work driving my car I did not wreck but I just remember nodding off which happens when you take pain pills or Suboxone it's just you just kind of almost fall asleep for a minute and I remember swerving and pulling the steering wheel back to the road and thinking how did I get back here within a week that quick I had a relapse gosh sister it and in just a matter of moments like what you said here it is you you worked so hard right and then yeah. it's almost like you know you walking through life you got to go get a tooth pulled and Never would you ever thought that that's what life would look like for you a week later, right? Yeah, right. 
So just a simple action of, hey, I got to go to the dentist and get this tooth pulled. And then here I am back all over. So what happens now after you after you pull yourself from this car back onto the road? What I mean, girl, did you have an epiphany? What happened? Well, I um, just go on. You know, I'm just trudging life right now. I'm still using and um, I end up getting a letter in the mail from my attorney reminding me of the court date coming up and also telling me that I would have to pass another hair follicle test, an unexpected hair follicle test and hair samples go back three to six months, but they wanted another one. Wow. And so now I know that was God doing for me what I could not do for myself. I absolutely did not deserve custody of her back at that point, right? And um, so, I mean, of course, I didn't take it that way. Of course. So now that was my rock bottom. That was when I felt the most, most worthless. That's when I just remember laying on the floor feeling like I deserve to die and that the world would be a better place without me, that she, that I would never be a good mother, that she would be better off without me. I'm talking about the most worthless I'd ever felt in my life was this point when I got that letter and I couldn't pass that test for her. And, um, while I was just wallowing in my suicidal thoughts, I just knew it was God. It was a God thought for sure that I needed to get up and I needed to get around sober people again and get back to a meeting. And, um, so I do, and I find a sponsor and, um, a sponsor is just someone that you find in recovery or in sobriety that helps you stay, helps you walk the road of sobriety. So if you have a thought of using, you call them. If you have a emotional something happened in your life you call them and that's what a sponsor is and thank god for sponsors but i went to that meeting that night my sponsor found me i actually admitted that i had used and that um i had to pick up a white chip which is just a surrender chip and i was ready i was ready to surrender and after picking up that white chip we'd circle up to pray the woman who had become my sponsor walked around the circle to me, held my hand and let me know that she was going to help me. Mm. And that was God too. God sent her to me. God put her hand in mine. That was a human vessel that God used to help me. And she did. And so we, um, we worked the steps and, um, I was able to maintain my sobriety and she was in court with me the day I got custody back of my daughter. Amen, sister. Amen. Girl, listen. I, I, I mean, there are people that are addicts that don't know they're addicts that, um, you know, it, it, it's, it spirals out of control. So, you know, they always talk about weed is the beginning of the gateway drug into the rest of the world of drugs. I honestly believe that. 
Absolutely. You know, I, and I'm not going to say that I'm oblivious to that and that I've never done that because I have. And, you know, I just, at the time, obviously I was mentally stronger because I was one, it, we're all one tragedy or one mistake away, right? It doesn't matter if you've been drinking and um, you're, you smoke weed, you get out behind a car and you kill somebody, right? I mean, so we all have our own battles that we face. But girl, it is by God's grace and his glory that you are able to tell this story now, celebrating, going in, celebrating six years of sobriety in May. Amen. Yes. All glory to Jesus. Yes. That is fantastic, sister. Yes. Yes. You know, so, and I love the fact that you were involved in Celebrate Recovery. I have a girlfriend that has um, been in that in, in that program at another church for years because it is the sponsors. It's accountability. You know, these people around you have walked the same path. They know it's not one of those things that you're like, oh, you don't know how I feel. You've never been there knowing that they've been there. Right. <laughs> and it's easier yes. for you to talk to somebody or an accountability partner or your sponsor like, hey, these are the thoughts I'm having because things I've been there. I've done that. This is what this looked like for me. What can I do and help you in this situation? Right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, for me, um, I started out in AA and then, um, I started going to celebrate recovery and, you know, in AA, I was able to maintain my sobriety. Um, and, but, and celebrate recovery is where I got to the root of the issue. And I mean, that's what Jesus wants to do for us, right? He wants to free us yep. from the root of why you use drugs in the first place. Because, yeah, I use drugs, but that was just a symptom to the real issues, the real lies I had believed from my childhood, the lies I was in agreement with that I was worthless and inadequate that eventually got a stronghold on me and I was just in agreement with those like that's just who I am and I'm gonna use these drugs to feel better right and so it was in celebrate recovery that I got to the root of the issue and was delivered from all those feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness and I got my true identity and my worth in Jesus and that's what celebrate recovery did for me Girl, preach it, sister. Preach it all day. I love the fact that we um, have programs in, in our churches like this. It is wonderful that you choose to give back and tell your story. Um, you know, t- Leadership University, I know those kids were oblivious. They were like, what are you people talking about? But then they've got to know you or one of the other young ladies had said, hey, you know, because a lot of people are affected by addiction. Somebody in their families, you, you know, we all know somebody that's been addicted or recovering or whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, I, I love the fact that you're able to be very transparent, that you are open, that you are telling the this, this these generations, because I know you've spoken in Brownsville High School and you've spoken mm-hmm. to all these kids, you know, like, hey, this is what life looks like. This is where, uh, you know, I made the wrong choice. Choice. I was listening to the wrong people. I was listening to myself, which is not always speaking truth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Girl, you are you are a walking story of God's grace, sister, and it is amazing. Thank you. Yes. Girl, listen, I know that your daughter has got to be 
proud of you. I know that you were so proud of her because you had. Now you got her back, though, correct? I did. You, I, I got custody back. Yes. Yay! Yay! She keeps yes. you on your toes, God's right? It's perfect timing because had it been my timing, I would have wrecked everything. So it was God's perfect timing. He knew exactly what he was doing all along. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that people um, can hear your story, um, you know, and, and I don't know what this looks like. Um, but if people wanted to reach out to you and talk to you, if say that they're struggling or they know somebody that's struggling, how could they get a hold of you um, to kind of see what life looks like? Look, girl, I will give you my phone number right now. <laughs> you could tell anybody to call me. No, seriously, I would be more than happy to leave my phone number with you. Uh, and um, any, I'm on Facebook. Look up Erica Austin. I'm on Instagram. Um, I am at Celebrate Recovery at Love and Truth Church at 565 Orwell Road every Monday night at 630. Um so I can be found and I want to be found. I want to help. I want to give back um, because I want to give back what was so freely given to me, you know, and I want to bring God glory and I want to help his people, you know, God use human vessels to reach down and help me up. And I just want to be a vessel to reach down and help anyone else out of the pit. Girl, what, what a story. Praise be to God, sister. Amen. I'm telling you, Erica, you were so precious. I love the fact that you were able to come on here. You were talking, you just talked about life. You talked about, um, the real, because a lot of people don't want to talk about stuff like this, but e it's either you talk about it or you're oblivious to it. And then you're looking, facing it and you're, you know, you got a child that's in jail. You could be in jail. Look, I am no better. I just didn't get caught sister. I'm no better than you. And I just tell people all the time, I, you know, I just, I, I didn't never get caught that. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? I tell my yeah. son that all the time. I'm like, I just, I was smarter than you. I didn't get caught. Right. You know, but I, I I tell him you just need to continue to get caught because you're bad. You're, you're bad at bad. Uh, you're bad at being a bad kid, but you're great at being a great kid, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sister. But I mean, what what a story that you have. Definitely, I'm just excited and 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 hope that we have other community people that want to reach out to you to get you to come and maybe give your story and talk in different groups. And you know, we would love to share the information about celebrate recovery recovery um at love and truth and um you know just see if people can come meet with you talk to you connect with you and then you just continue to to just um share your story sister yes yes and it's such such an honor such an honor thank you so much well listen erica i just appreciate you coming on today i really appreciate your time i appreciate what you're doing i appreciate everything you're doing in the community helping the future generations and then people that you're just um you know they an example and a role model, sister, because so many people think, oh, it's so easy. It's not easy. Nothing is easy in this life. But if, if it's hard um, and it's worth it worth doing, it's going to be hard. It always is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, the righteous fall seven times and get back up. So, and there's no judgment. You know, we. I, I just want to love on people. I just want to tell my story in hopes to give someone else hope. That's, that's why we do it right, because we're called to love God and love his people. And I just love his people so much. And if my story can help just one, you know, then I feel that I have fulfilled my purpose on this earth. And it's an honor. 
Girl, you were awesome. Oh, Erica, it is such a pleasure to talk to you today, sister. I'm I'm just really excited and I'm very grateful. So, listen, um, catch this podcast on Radio731.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, um, anywhere people find their um, podcast. Um, what I'm going to do, Erica, is two more things, and then I'm going to say two more lines, and then I'm going to pause this, okay? So, Erica, I just appreciate you um, being on the Woman to Woman podcast. Change your seat, change your perspective throughout all seasons of life.